Interest in crypto and digital assets continues to accelerate as investors seek to capitalize on one of the most intriguing financial innovations in decades. But not surprisingly, regulators are taking a key interest in the topic as they seek to ensure that investors are properly protected. SEC Chairman Gary Gensler talked about crypto-related matters during an August speaking engagement, telling the audience, we just don't have enough investor protection in crypto. Frankly, at this time, it's more like the Wild West. We have taken and will continue to take our authorities as far as they go. Well, obviously, the SEC has taken a hard look at crypto assets and decentralized finance or DeFi platforms. We have a Jones Day panel here to sort it out. I'm Dave Dalton. You're listening to Jones Day Talks. Josh Sterling has 20 years experience in the derivatives and securities markets, both as lead counsel to major companies and as a senior federal financial regulator. Josh represents clients that are active in the derivatives markets with matters before the U.S. Commodity Futures Trading Commission, or CFTC, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, that's the SEC, and various self-regulatory organizations. Prior to joining Jones Day, Josh was director of CFTC's Market Participants Division, which regulates the banks, intermediaries, and asset managers registered with the agency to trade derivatives in the U.S. markets. Brian Rabbit is a litigator with deep experience resolving complex problems and handling sensitive investigations and enforcement matters at the highest levels of government. He provides strategic counseling and representation to clients facing high-profile, high-stakes civil and criminal matters involving the Department of Justice, Securities and Exchange Commission, Commodities Future Trading Commission, State Attorneys General, and other government authorities. Prior to joining Jones Day, Brian was the Active Assistant Attorney General for the DOJ's Criminal Division. And finally, Mark Rasmussen is a seasoned litigator and investigator with more than 15 years experience representing clients in complex litigation and regulatory matters. Since 2016, Mark has advised clients on cryptocurrencies, blockchain technology, and fintech matters, including initial coin offerings and token issuances, money transmitter and virtual currency regulations, and litigation. In 2018, he was appointed by a federal district court judge to be the first ever receiver in an SEC enforcement action involving an initial coin offering promoter. Mark is co-editor and co-author of the book, Blockchain for Business Lawyers, published by the American Bar Association, and is a frequent speaker on legal issues related to blockchain technology. Josh, Brian, Mark, thank you all for being here today. Our pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, let's start with Josh. SEC Chairman Gary Gensler focused on crypto-related matters during an address earlier this month at a national security conference hosted by the Aspen Institute. The chairman said the SEC will use its full regulatory powers to monitor digital assets and called on Congress to expand the SEC's enforcement authority. Josh, what are his particular concerns, and is this a meaningful shift away from what the previous administration's view was of crypto assets and DeFi? Thanks for that, Dave, and very happy to be on here again with you and the fellows. I do think that we're going to observe a change in the regulatory approach to crypto under Chairman Gensler. There's a few reasons for that. After he got done regulating the derivatives markets post-financial crisis at the CFTC, he went out and did a number of things, one of which was to teach crypto-related courses, I think, at MIT. MIT, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, one of our associates actually had him up to Harvard Law School to give a presentation. Hmm. And in that presentation, he, he apparently put up a slide that referred to the duck test, which is if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it is a duck. Sure. You know, tired but true. I've used it. We've all used it. But now that he's at the SEC and he has jurisdiction over the securities markets, I think he's paying a lot of attention to the duck principle. 
which is what is out there, whether it's in digital assets, meaning cryptocurrencies, or decentralized finance, meaning DeFi, it looks like a securities offering, a securities sale, a brokerage transaction, or the operation of an exchange or a clearinghouse, and should it be registered with the SEC, and should it be enforced against if it's not so registered? Mm-hmm. And the answers to all those questions, to his way of thinking, based on what he said, is yes. And so I do expect to see a more aggressive focus on DeFi and tokens outside of sort of the obvious cases of fraud. We've seen those cases over several years, including under the chairmanships of Clayton at the SEC and Tarbert at the CFTC, and those will continue as they should. Mm-hmm. But I think we're going to see more of a push on sort of the regulatory infrastructure and whether people are following the P's and Q's there on the theory that it's not so much the random token offering with touts and promoters out there breaking the securities laws being a problem. It is. But it's the whole ecosystem that needs regulation. And I think that in part explains why he's also, frankly, been lobbying with Congress to get legislative authority push the SEC's way to do more in the space. Sure, sure. But Josh, in doing a little background research for this program, I don't know if I'd go as far to call the chairman a fan of crypto or a big hardcore advocate, but some people, after his remarks at the Aspen Institute, were maybe not surprised, but thought, geez, this is not maybe as light of a touch as we were expecting. Is that fair to say? Perhaps. My own take was I expected that Chairman Gensler would be aggressive. That was certainly his MO at the CFTC. So I had a whole division they'd worked under then CFTC Chairman Gensler and was pretty familiar with his approach anyway, which was to be more aggressive. And so I do think that crypto is more of a focus under his SEC mm-hmm. than it was when Jay Clayton was chairman. And I know Brian worked with Mr. Clayton. So I think there's more of an intensity to it, more of a focus on it. And that's sort of Gensler. He comes off as very intense and focused and wanted to pursue his perspective on things. Mm-hmm. And that's not to the discredit of Clayton or Tarbert. They were very focused on doing the right thing as well. I just think there's a certain intensity to a Gensler regime that we're going to be experiencing here. And that's true in, in crypto as it is other places. Sure, sure. Well, it's a good thing we're talking. And, and since you brought up Brian, let's go straight to him. Brian, the chairman said the crypto asset class is, and we're quoting here, rife with fraud, scams, and abuse in certain applications. All right, let's talk about exactly what sort of activities is he talking about? What were the bad actors doing that grabbed the attention of the chairman? You're absolutely right, Dave. Chairman Gensler, in his remarks, made a big point to focus on investor protection or the lack thereof, really, in the crypto and DeFi spaces. He went so far as to describe the current environment as, and I'm quoting here, the Wild West, which <laughs> yeah, got so. quite a bit of a, attention. Some of what he was talking about, Dave, and Josh touched on this before, is really standard garden variety fraud, which is unfortunately not a risk that's unique to the crypto or DeFi spaces. But it does play an unfortunate role in a number of crypto-related schemes. You know, Take, for example, the agency's recent enforcement action involving blockchain credit partners. And I know you want to talk about that a yeah. little later in the program. But that enforcement action got a lot of attention because it was the agency's first involving a DeFi platform. But at the end of the day, a big part of the SEC's case involved allegations that the company was not using investors' money the way it said it was going to, which is pretty standard garden variety fraud. You don't really need digital assets to do something 
like that. But beyond the standard typical fraud schemes, a big part of what Chairman Gensler was focused on in Aspen relates to the concept of investor protection more broadly. So much of our federal securities laws are organized around the principle of protecting investors, the central part of the SEC's three-part core mission. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the principal ways that our securities laws seek to do that, as Josh alluded to, is a pretty robust regime of registration, oversight, and disclosure to investors. Now, when I was at the agency, and, and you were talking about this a few minutes ago, our public enforcement work focused in large part on unregistered initial coin offerings, or ICOs. And one of the principal theories that we pursued in those cases was that digital assets were being offered and sold in the marketplace without any of the required registrations or disclosures of key information to investors that come with registration as well as oversight. That's certainly part of what Chairman Gensler is talking about. He endorsed Chairman Clayton's focus on ICOs and unregistered offerings, and it's fair to say that that'll be a focus going forward. I was struck by the shift in focus to a certain extent on trading and lending of digital assets on platforms, in particular the fact that there are a lot of digital asset trading and lending platforms out there in operation right now. And Chairman Gensler went out of his way to refer to those in his Aspen remarks. He made the point that in his view, activities on those can be susceptible to manipulation, fraud, and abuse, just like trading on securities exchanges that are in fact registered with the SEC. But many of these platforms are not subject to registration, either with Josh's old agency, the CFTC, or my old agency, the SEC. And as a result, they don't have the procedures in place to, for example, conduct market surveillance over trading Mm -hmm. activity, to police market participants' conduct. One of Chairman Gensler's big points was that these important investor protection tools are missing right now. He's looking to bring some certainty and some regulation to that space. Sure, sure. But Brian, doesn't this always happen? Isn't the technology always a couple steps ahead of oversight and regulations? Is this just a natural part of the process, maybe? It is true that technology is always pushing the envelope when it comes to regulation. But one of the things that we've seen in recent years with digital assets is just that they're a very transformative technology. And Mm. Chairman Gensler said that they sit astride of and they don't fit neatly into any particular regulatory regime whether that's the CFTC's regulatory regime, the SEC's, or another regulator. And so Mm -hmm. as a result, it's a slightly different duck to borrow Josh and the chairman's analogy than what we've seen in the past. Sure, sure. And we did a program several months ago about tax considerations where it comes to digital assets and crypto. And is it a currency? Is it a security? And so forth. Maybe the chairman's all wrong. It is a bit of a Wild West flavor sometimes in terms of everybody's trying to figure out exactly what's going on and how this should work. Let's go over to Mark. Mark, welcome back to Jones Day Talks. It's been a couple months. Glad to have you back on board with us here. Mark, you've you've written extensively on crypto assets, blockchain, and related matters like that. And someone mentioned earlier, while Chairman Gensler was on the faculty at MIT, he researched and taught classes on fintech and digital currencies. So here's a guy who understands this. He gets the technology. Now, given your background and what you've written and what you know about this, Mark, how might the chairman's academic-leaning background influence his decision-making as an enforcement authority and as a regulator. This isn't a guy who's maybe been in the private sector and in finance his whole career. This is a guy who understands the nuts and bolts of how these things work. Will that be a factor moving forward? 
Yeah, I definitely think it will be. And from my own perspective, I approach every sort of new client matter with this in mind. I need to understand the technology at a real granular level before I can really start providing any kind of advice. And the same is true for our regulators and our lawmakers and anybody who's going to be in this industry or regulate this industry. The the greatest fear I have is someone trying to pass laws or enact new regulations who doesn't really understand the technology because they don't understand the power behind it, what makes it so special, why it's transformative, and they're not really attuned to what laws and regulations are needed. So from that perspective, I'm optimistic based on Chairman Gensler's background. Having studied the issues and understanding how the tech works, he'll be in a better position to regulate it better or make recommendations to lawmakers as to how to pass laws to, to oversee it. That's true, not just with Chairman Gensler, but other commissioners and staff at the SEC. In my talks with them, most of the people I've discussed the technology with are intrigued by it, they like it, enthusiastic about it, and many of them understand it at a really granular level. And I don't get the sense that people are there in the SEC just trying to shut it down because it's something they don't understand and don't like and it's new. That process needs to continue going where where business and industry educates all the commissioners and the staff to make sure that they understand the power of it because there's more good out there than bad. I'm glad we've got the SEC and other regulators to police it and and make sure the bad actors are kept in check so that the good actors can flourish. So I I think it'll be a net positive overall to have Chairman Gensler understanding these things, and I hope our lawmakers can invest as much time as he and others have to make sure that any legislation they propose is well-tailored. Mark, when they're formulating policy and recommending regulations and so forth, how formal is the process in terms of reaching out to the affected parties? I know they ask for comments sometimes on proposed regulations and so forth, but how does that process go based on your experience? How do they pull in the information they need from the people who are actually on the ground working with these things every day? How proactive are they? It's a great question. It's not something that the public gets to see very much, but I know that the legislatures have their own staff council, the various committees and the House and the Senate have staff council. The commissioners at the SEC have their own council, mm-hmm. and they're all reaching out to industry. The industry's reaching out to them. The folks I've talked with are more than welcoming of outreach from the industry. They want to understand what's going on. They crave it. And I've had folks reach out to me and say, who else can I talk to? We, we want to understand this better. So I know that's happening. I can't promise that it happens enough before legislation gets written because some things come together awfully quickly in the last final hours, mm-hmm. and that doesn't necessarily mean that they've, they've had enough time to, to study the issues, but there's a steady process of education going on. When you're in those crunch moments and writing legislation in the final hours, you will have done the work already. So yeah. there's more to be done in that regard, but they all make an honest effort to try to understand the tech before they regulate it. That's certainly encouraging. Let's stay with Mark for one more. You've been watching crypto for the last several years. Have you noticed particular areas of focus when it comes to oversight and enforcement? Are there areas that the regulators seem to be honing on? Yeah, my observation is this is true of many regulators, and it's certainly how I've seen things develop at the SEC in this space. First, you have 
staff or, or commissioners identify the issues relevant to a new technology, and then you have staff, commissioners elaborate on those issues in speeches and other mm-hmm. informal guidance that they put out. And right around then, they start to bring some of the easier black and white cases, the low-hanging fruit. And then over time, they kind of move into the more nuanced cases. And at the SEC, that's how it played out. We got some guidance in 2017 on how they were viewing the sale of digital tokens into the market. And shortly thereafter, we had more speeches. The cyber unit was created, and they started bringing actions against fraudsters because that's who we want to stop first and foremost. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and the cases they were bringing in the early days were very easy, pretty black and white. The way that the tokens were being marketed was yeah. very clear that they were securities. It's just now recently, in the last year or two, that they've started to bring more nuanced cases, and they've got one right now pending in, against Ripple that is very nuanced. It'll be interesting to see what kind of rulings we get out of that. But that's the pattern, and they started with the ICOs, as Brian mentioned. Yeah. They slowly expanded toward broker-dealers, investment advisors, exchanges, and at every step they were careful to make sure that they were establishing precedent when they settled these enforcement actions that Mm -hmm. would be instructive to the industry so that people would know how to get in line and get compliant or to do their token sale in a compliant way because they had some models out there. And then at the same time as they were doing bringing these enforcement actions, I was pleased to see that they were also granting no action relief. There were three companies that went to the SEC and said, here's how our digital asset works. We think blockchain technology is great and it can improve our business. Mm-hmm. And we don't think these tokens are securities. And the SEC granted no action relief request in, in those three scenarios. So that, that also provides a guidance that's helpful to the industry. Sure, sure. And obviously more coming. I think we're in the second inning of a nine-inning game, the way things are sounding. There's a fine line, Brian, or a tightrope almost that regulators have to walk. I think the challenge in policing activity relating to any new technology or industry is making sure that investors and consumers are given protection, but you don't want to stifle innovation and creativity. How does the SEC make sure it gets it right? It's absolutely a challenge, Dave. You're right. It is a very fine line that the agency has to walk, the SEC and the CFTC as well, for its part, given its equities in this space. It's something that we grappled with during my time at the SEC and the Enforcement Division and with Chairman Clayton. We were very mindful of the need to protect investors and protect markets while at the same time ensuring that we didn't step in the way of and stifle good, beneficial, meaningful innovation. Part of that is being very thoughtful about what you seek to regulate and how you do it. Mark is exactly right. There are people at the SEC and at the other agencies as well. I spent a significant amount of time at DOJ, and there are experts in both agencies on these new technologies that understand them, that engage in kind of a meaningful dialogue with industry and interact with market participants and drivers of the technology. They stood up the FinHub at SEC, which houses a tremendous amount of fintech and crypto-related expertise. And I think it seeks to serve as a resource for industry, and it seeks to also consult with and talk with other folks in the building, including in enforcement, to make sure that they understand what they are looking at and what the consequences of their enforcement activity may be for the industry. So it really begins with being very knowledgeable and Mm -hmm. very thoughtful in how you approach the problem at hand. Another thing that's very important is to be clear about how a regulator views the law 
and how it's going to be applied to a particular set of facts or a particular technology before acting. I am really not a fan in any environment, but particularly in the technology-related or the crypto space of what some have called regulation by enforcement, where you force first and explain later. It is exactly backwards and really the wrong way to do it. Obviously, as Mark alluded to, each enforcement action sends a pretty clear signal to the market about the way that an agency views the law and the way that it's going to use its enforcement authorities. But regulators should be clear about their expectations and the way they view the law and the way they intend to apply it before they take enforcement action, particularly when you're dealing with a new or an emerging technology that breaks new ground like so much of the crypto space does. Mark alluded to the Dow report, which was issued during my time at the agency, in which the SEC made clear its views on ICOs and how it approached them. And then that was followed by a significant number of enforcement actions in that space, which came after the SEC said, look, here's how we view ICOs and here's how you should view ICOs going forward. And then it took enforcement action. Now, the agency doesn't always issue 21A reports, the fact that they're pretty rare. But as Mark was mentioning, the agency also speaks pretty clearly through speeches and through guidance to the industry. And I think that's a big part of what Chairman Gensler was doing in his recent remarks. He was signaling to the industry that a lot of what the SEC has been doing in this space will continue. And then he was also signaling, I think, where he intends to ask the staff to go in the years ahead in areas that maybe the SEC hasn't been as active in in recent years. So mm-hmm. it's not hard to read the tea leaves from his or from other SEC officials' public remarks. I was going to say, if people are paying attention at all, and certainly the participants in this industry are, they've got to know where the emphasis is in terms of enforcement, correct? They do now. The SEC under Chairman Clayton tried to be very clear about how it viewed technology and the intersection of that technology and the federal securities laws. Obviously, the critics will say that they weren't, but there has been an effort, a significant effort on the part of regulators and enforcement officials to be pretty upfront about the way they view these things and where they intend to deploy the agency's enforcement resources. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to Josh Sterling for a second. Now, Josh, this is going to be a little tricky, and you'll see where I'm going with this in a second. You and I talked in previous podcasts. In fact, Brian was with us on one. We talked about how federal agencies coordinate investigations and enforcement, and even state agencies get involved occasionally. But after Commissioner Gensler's remarks earlier this month, the then CFTC commissioner, Brian Kintens, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, said, hey, my commission has staked out a position relative to crypto. Now, a little inside baseball for listeners, as we were preparing to record today's program, we found out that Commissioner Kintens has resigned. So there will be new leadership there. But that doesn't matter as much as the bigger question. What do you make of the potential conflict here, Josh? How does it complicate matters for parties potentially under either group's jurisdiction? The SEC is watching this. CFTC is watching this. How does a party to these transactions, these markets, deal with that? As best as they can would be my glib off the cuff, <laughs> Dave. But what you would hope for is clear rules of the road defining the spheres within which the SEC will regulate exclusively and the CFTC will regulate exclusively. Mm-hmm. So there can be dual regulation, but it is separate. I would contrast that to joint regulation, which is an absolutely bad idea. And I say that from the experience of having watched over 20 years 
a change in the law that made single stock futures and other products like that, we call them security futures, legal in this country, jointly regulated by the SEC and the CFTC. That There is not a market you can go to in the United States today that I know of where you can trade a single stock future. It was essentially regulated to oblivion, whether the product's good, bad, or indifferent, that's hmm. the case. That's not good. The point of regulating a market is not to extinguish it. And I have to tell you, although there is a generally positive and friendly working relationship between SEC and CFTC, I do believe this area I just mentioned, security futures, was a definite tension point because as hard as Congress tried to stake out how things could be jointly regulated, it was subject to interpretation and you get a bunch of lawyers in the room and sometimes they can't agree. So I would hope that there can be some clear guidelines if indeed Congress is going to act as Senator Warren and others have signaled and Brian can talk about the congressional points way better than I. That will be helpful. I will say preceding that, I think there was generally a spirit of detente between Clayton and Tarbert, the two chairmen that preceded those in power now, Mm -hmm. where it was pretty well staked out by Chairman Clayton's leadership team when a token would be a security. And when I was at the CFTC, that made sense to us. Mm -hmm. And our leadership team under Chairman Tarbert would say, okay, things like Bitcoin and Ether, and the chairman before, Mr. Tarbert as well, said many of the same things are more like commodities. They're sort of broadly distributed things. And so that worked. I don't know if that's going to continue to work. And I don't know that the industry is going to be comfortable with that long term because of the evolution and the crossover and products. You have tokens. Now you have DeFi. You have utilities that use those. And it's not a good spot to be in giving advice to people where you say, well, We think that you should register as an exchange with the CFTC and as a futures commission merchant. But you know what? If one little thing is different or if there's a speech that comes out from the SEC, well, maybe you actually need to be a securities exchange and a securities broker dealer as well. What's the answer? It is the job of Congress to give that answer so that both agencies can act responsibly along those lines. Need more guidance, at least, you know, which lane you're in, right? Back to Mark for a second. Mark, evidently, Commissioner Gensler was serious. Just a couple of days after the Aspen Institute addressed the SEC charged DeFi platform and its executives for unregistered security sales of more than $30 million and with misleading investors. And this was the blockchain credit partners matter and involved two Florida men. Mark, what exactly is the SEC alleging here? We're all calling this a DeFi matter and a DeFi platform, and it has some of those attributes. It's not quite as decentralized as some other platforms are out there. There's a lot of centralization here in in terms of how it was all going to work. Basically, the company behind it, which is called DeFi Money Market or DMM, mm-hmm. was issuing two types of tokens, an M token and a DMG token. The DMG token was a governance token. If you bought that, you had rights to participate in the governance of the network to vote for changes. And you also were entitled to some profits from the enterprise. And the M token promised you an interest rate, a fixed interest rate of six and a quarter percent. So what would happen is the purchasers of these assets would send money, Ether or a stable coin to a smart contract address. And then DMM would go take some of those funds and purchase revenue generating assets like car loans. And then the idea was that those car loans 
would generate more than six and a quarter percent returns so that DMM could pay the M token holders the promised rate. Well, the SEC said, hey, both those tokens are securities, both are investment contracts, and the M tokens are like a note on top of that, and you didn't register these. And then on top of that, some of the statements you were making about this weren't true. They were omissions. Mm-hmm. So if the facts are presented in the settlement, and there's always more to the story, right? But as right. the facts are presented in the settlement, it's probably one of those low-hanging fruit cases that I mentioned earlier, one of sure. the easier ones to go after because of the apparent fraud that was going on. But it's also sending a signal to the marketplace that DeFi is an area of focus. And mm-hmm. Um, There may be some more nuanced cases uh, ahead that will shed more light on how they're going to regulate the space. Sure. Well, the players are on alert, that's for certain. Let's go back to Josh for a second. Josh, you talked a couple minutes ago about the need for more clear rules, guidance, and so forth. What should we look for in the coming months? Will enforcement actions accelerate? Will Congress finally act? What do you see coming around the corner? Yeah, thanks for that, Dave. And I will defer to Brian on the congressional piece, given that that's much more of his practice than it is mine. But um, I do think the SEC enforcement cases will continue to be brought. The way this works is a commissioner or chairman of an agency will be aware of the priorities or in the case of a chairman, set the priorities, understand what cases are in the pipeline. And we understand that Mr. Gensler has been encouraging his staff to quickly find and bring cases, mm-hmm. shape a narrative around that and time it all so that you give a speech on policy and it's followed up by cases. And then you talk about those cases in your policy statements when you write a rule. So the cases are the facts that support your policy that make the rule. So it's a complete loop. So we're sort of in that stage now. The speeches have been given. Cases have been rolled out, including, as Mark had said, in DeFi. Mm -hmm. And so I think we'll continue to see more of that. But we will probably see some SEC proposed rulemakings short of Congress taking action to give more authority to the SEC. I would say the same on the CFTC side, although they're a little bit behind the SEC simply as a matter of administrative transition. Mm-hmm. Commissioner Quintins did resign, so the commission now has three members rather than the full five. So there's certainly a two-to-one Democratic majority that can move things along by way of rulemaking, mm-hmm. but they still need their acting chairman, as has been reported, to be nominated and confirmed to the full chairmanship, if you will, so that you have a full chairman with the backing of the White House to set forth an agenda. The CFTC will be a little bit behind that. But I would expect them to move on some pieces as well, probably not with deference, but with an understanding of where the SEC is going. There are certainly rules we worked on when I was there in the crypto space that we didn't get to do because the pandemic focused our agenda a bit in different ways. They could be picked up or refashioned that the commissioners that are still there are aware of. So those could move quickly, but they might not hit the particular philosophy that Mr. Benham or any other chairman over there would want to see put in place. I'd like to think they're perfectly middle of the road, mm-hmm. but others may disagree and they would have the reasons for that, which I'm sure are good. So that's how I see it. You're going to continue to see speeches and enforcement actions follow on the speeches. And if I were to say which one's going to come out first with rules, I would guess the SEC. SEC. And certainly if we do get some legislation, 
and the legislation says the SEC or the CFTC shall adopt this rule, then you know what the rules are. And those will come quickly as well because if there's one thing Gensler can do is he did it at the CFTC, which is much smaller than the SEC. Mm-hmm. A man can get rules adopted right quick. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about legislation with Brian. And you mentioned maybe Brian would want to comment on this. Brian, two things for you. First of all, do you expect Congress to act and what might that look like? Second of all, given your experience at the SEC, what are the key takeaways from all this? And what do our listeners need to know? Talk about potential congressional action and legislation first. Well, Dave, it's a lot easier to talk about congressional action or activity up on Capitol Hill than it is to kind of predict whether Congress will act on this and where they'll get to. We've seen across the spectrum of substantive issues, congressional action these days is a difficult thing to get, and it can be challenging to move any bill through both houses. What you saw in Chairman Gensler's Aspen remarks, which were followed quickly by a publicly released letter to Senator Elizabeth Warren, was a real focus on the SEC's authorities or lack of authorities in this space. There have been efforts on the Hill to legislate on various topics relating to digital assets for years now, but in his recent remarks, Chairman Gensler called clearly for congressional action on the topic. It's clear from his speech that he thinks neither the SEC nor the CFTC have adequate authority to properly regulate the digital asset industry as a whole. As he put it, there are uh, what he called gaps in the current regulatory framework. And regulators need, again, in his words, additional authority to prevent transactions, products, platforms, exchanges from falling through the regulatory cracks. So it was remarkable. I've never seen or have not yet seen as clear a recognition from a regulator in this area that additional authority is both necessary and desirable and a clear call for that. I think you saw pushback from a couple of different areas to Chairman Gensler's call for additional authority. In addition to Commissioner Contends at the CFTC, who pretty quickly issued a statement disputing what he viewed as an attempt by Chairman Gensler to move into areas that the CFTC has Mm -hmm. traditionally regulated. You also saw Republicans on the Hill, including Representative McHenry, who's the ranking member on the House Financial Services Committee, push back pretty quickly as well. He called Chairman Gensler's remarks in his letter to Senator Warren a power grab. Now, he has been an advocate of, uh, along with a number of other representatives in both parties on the Hill, of the creation of a joint SEC-CFTC working group to study the issue and decide whether additional authorities are, in fact, necessary and advisable. And that was his response to Chairman Gensler's remarks. It's difficult to predict what Congress will do. It'll be if the recent negotiations or attempt to negotiate over tax-related treatment of digital assets and cryptocurrencies that Mm -hmm. we saw in connection with the recent Senate legislation is any indication. It's going to be very, very hard to build any sort of consensus on this issue on the Hill. But Chairman Gensler clearly thinks it's necessary, and he's clearly advocating for it, both publicly and, I'm sure, privately at the staff level as well. Will be interesting to watch, that's for certain. Brian, key takeaways from all this? After listening to Josh and Mark talk and, and thinking more about Chairman Gensler's remarks and some of the enforcement actions that have followed closely on the heels of those, to steal a phrase from Game of Thrones, enforcement is coming. Chairman Gensler asked for more authority from Congress. He's been very clear about that. We were just talking about that. There's no indication 
that he's going to wait for those authorities before taking what I think is probably going to be pretty significant and aggressive action mm. in this space. That was not his track record at the CFTC. He was known as a very aggressive, forward-leaning enforcer. And right. you've seen the SEC move into new areas, including DeFi, immediately following Chairman Gensler's speech. So, you know, I, I think more is coming mm-hmm. and more is coming in new areas that we maybe haven't seen as much focus and activity on in recent years. Everybody should buckle up and get ready. Keep your eyes open and your radar on, I guess. Hey, this is terrific as usual. Josh, Brian, Mark, a lot of information. You covered a lot of ground in a short period of time. Thanks so much for being here. I have a feeling we're all going to talk about this more soon, probably by the end of the year. But thanks so much. Great, great program today. And I'm so grateful you made some time for us. Thanks so much. Thank Thank you. For complete biographies and contact information for Josh, Brian, and Mark, visit jonesday.com. That's also where you'll find our insights page, which features more podcasts, videos, publications, newsletters, blogs, and other useful content. Subscribe to Jones Day Talks at Apple Podcasts or wherever else you find your podcast. Jones Day Talks is produced by Tom Condolis. And as always, we thank you for listening. I'm Dave Dalton. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit jonesday.com.